And good morning, everyone. You are live in the studio of Triple H 100.1 FM for Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. Thank you for joining me for another week full of small business education, advocacy and all things just happiness, really. Now, those of you who are listening going, who is that person on the mic? It is me. Don't worry. And as of about 12 hours ago, I didn't have a voice, which is not so great for a radio announcer. Um, but I'm pleased to say it has returned. Uh, I just sound like a bit of a seal at the moment. So uh, hopefully you can forgive me for my bad voice, but went two, two weeks of conferencing, two weeks of event podcasting, and that'll do it to you when you push yourself a bit far. I won't say that alcohol wasn't involved at some point as well, Michael, during Xericon. We've got Michael in the studio today, and we're going to be talking all about selling your business. Now, succession planning is something that we all need to consider, whether you're at the beginning, the end, the middle, wherever it is in your journey, you have to keep it at the back of your mind. The mere fact is we don't think ahead. A lot of problems with small businesses that we're just living the everyday, we're living almost moment to moment. We're barely thinking about that five-year plan that's sitting in the bottom of a drawer somewhere. Um, And we're certainly not thinking about the end goal, which is what it is that we want to do with this basically this asset that we're producing. Um, A lot of us who are existing every day in small business don't realise that each of your hours, all of your effort, all of your time, all of the money that you put into your business is actually contributing to something that is of value. And we need to start considering it as valued, just like when you suddenly get it valued for some reason, because you're thinking about selling or maybe because you need to add it as an asset to your wealth, um, that it does actually have value. And we can sometimes be a little bit surprised about that, particularly those who are not in bricks and mortar or don't have inventory or don't have an actual place uh, where we where we do our business at all, maybe online. And it can be a bit surprising as to what it is that that asset is worth. Michael Kerr is a senior business development strategist, spending a career driving and delivering tangible change for startups, large, small corporations by contributing expertise in business development, relationship management, project management, commercial evaluation, financial analysis and strategic consulting. Thank you so much for joining us today, Michael. It's really nice to be here, Alexi. Thank you for the invite. And it's great to have someone with a little bit of community radio experience. Congratulations on the hard effort that you've sometimes put in. You mentioned that you've done a couple of graveyard shifts at your local community radio. I've done about a dozen graveyards from 2am to 6am. Not small business, but um, just playing Oh, but true, true (laughs) graveyards. Yeah, absolutely. Actually, I went and visited the uh, Norfolk Island community radio station, which was uncannily, um, it wasn't held together with gaff tape, let's put it that way. They do actually get government funding because they are a, uh, an emergency um, emergency beacon, I guess, for the community. Uh, but they've got 20,000 pieces of vinyl in that studio. Really? It's incredible. So I wow. think, um, you know, the, the resurgence of vinyl and that sort of thing, but yeah. I'm thinking about buying a record player because I yeah. think they're really awesome. Yeah, absolutely. So, you, should, you should do that. I know. I've got to invest in, invest in one. So let's talk about business succession planning because, um, like I said, it's, not, it's just not something that we think about in small business because, you know, we're so wrapped up in... God, if we can even just get to the end of the quarter and do our basses, you know, if we can get all our reporting done, if we can input all our data, we think that we're doing well, when in fact, um, it's almost like you've got to think of that end goal in mind. Why do you think that's so important to people to consider? Well, I think with the, the cycle you describe, which is I'll get the quarterly baths done, then I'll get the next one done, and then I'll get my annual tax return done. It's it's fun and it's exhilarating, but it's exhausting. And um, I think there's this decision point, uh, and I think a lot of it's unconscious, unfortunately, where people just keep going in that cycle. And the idea of an exit plan, which a lot of small business owners don't have, let's be 
Frank, but if you can uh, take time to to put together a plan of sorts, I think it just gives you a bit of a light in the tunnel mm. uh, at the end, and that's you know we, some trigger point for five years or two years or ten years to get you thinking about what your business is worth, um, what it might be worth when you're ready to move on. So I think it's important to have something to it you know in the future to look forward to as a, as an event called an exit. And, and thinking about, um, I guess, a little bit about macroeconomics, why is it important that we as business owners should have a bit of a finger on the pulse of the economy and understand how it operates with that end goal in mind? Is it, does that help put a timeline on it or do you sort of have to be seeing into the future to understand where it is maybe it's the appropriate time to exit? Yeah, ma- at macro level, that's, um, it's pretty hard to predict. But I think, you know, that some of the major trends like... Um, you know, we've had full employment for a long time, and that's kind of inhibited the amount of buyers. So it's a real, it's a real fact. Everyone's happy. You know, a lot of people are happy in their jobs. So if you w- were planning on exiting, um, there's less buyers around. Oh um, yeah. So yeah. I didn't think of that employment yeah. affecting you know the buyers. Yeah. But you, you know the baby boom, the aging of the is probably the biggest one you're referring to. You know the aging of business uh, business owners, baby, and and the 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 flood of businesses that's going to come onto the market. In the next, well, starting now, but for the next 10, 20 years, you know, there's going to be a lot of businesses owned by owners over 55, over, you know, so that, depending on what they want to do, there could be a, an awful lot more wanting to sell than there are buyers. Um, I think the other macro factor really at the minute particularly is um, accessing finance to to grow or to acquire a business, incredibly challenging. So that's a that's a macro thing. Um, but yeah, you've just regardless. I think you've just you know as an owner, you've got to be planning. Um, you've got to be thinking about those factors, but also just getting on with it. And and um, a lot a lot of sales of businesses happen within the industry, and and they get they you know so a bigger competitor buys a smaller player in their industry. That, that happens quite a lot and, and that'll probably happen regardless of those macro factors. But And is that for the purposes of acquiring assets and staff um, and bringing it into their fold so that they can grow? Is that sort of a fairly typical way of people having an exit strategy, knowing that that's a possibility? Yeah, certainly it's about that you know, strategic acquisition. It might be for, as you say, for um, staff or it might be some contracts they hold or some key intellectual property and... And the, you know the the bigger players in all industries are pretty good at seeing who's coming up. You know who are the the, the startups and the and the established smaller businesses that could be a really good bolt on. You know, yeah. It's an overused term, but that's yeah. Um, but they the I guess the you know that's a that's an exit plan of you know a real really valid one for owners, and it it doesn't mean you necessarily have you know you've got to still think about your exit, but think about it to a bigger player it's different to selling to a someone off the street so let's talk about the different methods of um like different exit options um that you can have out there because it's not just a matter of going okay here's a basically a product i've produced and now i'm going to sell it you need to think about who the opportunistic buyers might be yeah the biggest the biggest determinant of success i think is um is two one is understanding the value of your business to a buyer so that means you've got to start to think about who your buyers are, and um, some your buyers could could range from somebody in the in the same industry, uh, strategic player, strategic you know bolt on acquisition. Mm-hmm. It could be selling it 
to employees, which is an emerging um, trend. Uh, I've worked on quite a few of those in recent years. Could be to um, the more formal and traditional approach of advertising it somewhere, which I think you know for for a lot of businesses that's the last resort if you've got to advertise. Um, so you know, bringing you back to it's about identifying who your buyer is and really trying to position your business over years to you know to get on their radar and and that's um, uh, a less a less stressful ex- exit often because. That they already understand the industry really well, and um, it's it's an easier process than trying to explain to somebody brand new that how your industry works. Yeah, I can understand that, but I can also see the benefit of having someone who you don't know anything about without destroying a relationship that you might have with a colleague or or perhaps um, a, a, even a, a business associate because. So something doesn't work out in the sale. It's almost nice to have that an- anonymity when someone walks in and just goes, yep, I'll buy your business lock, stock and barrel. And you're like, awesome. I just wipe my hands of everything. That's great. Done. Finished. Yeah. I think sometimes the uh, the contract might have, the sale contract might have a few hooks in there. If, but um, yeah, I hear, hear what you're saying. It's, um, yeah, the, the, the com- complete and clean exit is a good way to, good way to um, move off into the sunset or the golf course or whatever you want to do post-business. You mentioned contract there and I think that that's something really important that our business owners who are thinking about this or should be thinking about this need to be aware of. So with a, a typical sale contract, it's not just as simple as, you know, purchasing an, a house, is it? It's, 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 there's Far quite a lot it. of caveats and things in there. Can you describe some of those extra bits that make it different from a simple asset sale? Um, not a, look, I look at contracts an awful lot. Um, so the the seller will always make some representations about the business to the to the buyer and 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 the hook there is that the buyer can come back later on if you know if you've made false and misleading claims i mean i'm not a lawyer so it's mm. but that you know at a commercial practical level you represent your your business what it what it has done fundamentally um, you know financially um, you know what what it has in place and and then you know if you've you know if you've made some um, misstatements about that there's a comeback for the for the buyer i mean it gets really tricky because uh, there's so much implicit in what an, what the existing owner understands about the business it's so innate in their you know baked into their DNA that it, it can be quite innocent that it, it looks really easy to run mm. to them. Why why can't the buyer run it? It should be straightforward, but they've, they've been in it for 20 or 30 years. So they see it very differently. Um, so that does cause some, you know, some real challenges because a buyer can come in and, you know, they do a whole lot of research, due diligence, and then they handed the keys on Monday and things go haywire because it's all it's all complete everything is completely brand new so you do get those uh, legal issues you know arising on a regular basis is it important in that instance to make sure that you are also basically have a handover process i mean it's kind of it's kind of one of those things where do you draw a line in the sand and just go there's the keys good luck to you I've, everything's i said was mm-hmm. there is there or should you be i guess in a way considerate and allow say a two week handover i know it depends on the business but um, is that something to be considered absolutely look it's for for the buyer it just helps to de-risk the the acquisition of the business so you know, if I had to say 
a rule of thumb might be two to four weeks in, in sort of more retail mainstream businesses to hand over. And, and up to that time, the buyer's doing due diligence and looking at the books and talking to the owner. And, um, but there's a formal two to four week handover in a lot of those sort of businesses. In other businesses, um, maybe more services, you know, often and increasingly the exit is being linked. It's not a short term exit. It's a phased exit over a couple of years. And account, you know, an accounting firm might be a good example. And the the outgoing uh, partners or uh, yeah outgoing partners would stay for perhaps a year or two or three and uh, sell you know at, so they still want to work for a couple of years and it also means the 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 incoming buyer's got a lot of time to you know to really hand over properly those you know those key relationships which couldn't be done in two or four weeks so it's a bit horses for courses but it can range from uh, for main street businesses two to four weeks to you know often a couple of years um, it makes sense that those people who are just handing over stuff not necessarily yeah. relationships yeah. Um, can just literally do a process handover or inventory handover and yeah. it is shorter but yeah it makes yeah. a lot of sense that you need to allow a lot more time so that's one of the things that if you're considering or should be thinking about succession planning is that you consider the length of time that you have to hand over and what does that relationship look like so are you saying sometimes that uh, the director or the partner might remain in the business as an employee uh, as the exit extends out. Is that sort of often part of the contract? It's, I wouldn't say it's often, but it, it certainly it, a lot of it's about what the what the buyer wants, and, and and if the buyer wants something that's unreasonable, the seller can go. I don't I don't want to do that. But it it gets um, it, a buyer and a seller working together is really tricky. So. A short two to four week handover, even if you hated each other, you, you, you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. But if it's um, if you lock in, particularly in service firms, if it's a it's a couple of years handover, it it can get really strained and awkward. So, but it, it is ultimately it's up to the if the buyer wants to minimise the risk of buying, paying whatever money for the business, if that means they want the seller to stay in for whatever period of time, it's up to the seller to say, look, that's I'm I'm okay with that, and I look. I get in, in the situation where I'm advising, and have had sellers walk away from a deal attractive, but they just they just realise that they can't work with that party for that long, and so you go, okay, that's fine. Um, we'll we'll wait for the next one. So you've got to, because it's not a clean exit in two or four weeks, you do have to consider the money, the deal, but also the deal incorporates working together with someone. Yeah, you know, business partnerships are hard at the best of times. Yeah, especially during the stressful time of handing over your baby mm. to someone else who you've lived in, you know, place that you've lived in for 30 years or whatever. Yeah. We're going to take a quick break here on Small Biz Matters. And when we come back after the break, I wanted to talk to Michael a little bit more about um, the process of how to uh, instigate an advisor to come into the process and, and where they might be able to support you in this handover. You're listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back after this. So today I'm talking to Michael Kerr and we're talking all about uh, succession planning. For those of you who might be unfamiliar with that term, that basically means, means what am I going to do with this asset, this hard work, these hours, this capital that I've produced, my business over the last 20 or 30 years or even just five years, what am I going to do with it at the end? What's the end goal? And just before the break, we were talking about 
Are you thinking about maybe selling it to an employee or a partner? Or perhaps you're happy for your company to be eaten by a bigger company and they get to acquire of your assets and your um, expertise. And how is that transition going to go? Now, let's talk about the transition process itself. Um, Michael, you're obviously uh, with um, a a company that assists businesses with the succession planning, among other things, and, and the strategic planning around that. Why is it important that businesses consider engaging with an advisor during this process, no matter whether or not they're bricks and mortar, retail, consulting why is it important the the biggest importance uh relates to the fact that most owners will only ever own and sell one business and i know there are there are other entrepreneurs who turn over businesses and do it really well but in the main it's a it's going to be a brand new process so to get some external counsel and advice about what's what does this look like what's involved is critically important otherwise um what I see is people either tend to do nothing because it all looks a bit scary, or they um, they get a bit you know over enthusiastic about how good it's going to be. So, a good a trusted advisor that can play back what what's involved, and uh, particularly a trusted advisor who's been through the process a lot. So, when you engage with someone like that, what are some questions that are really pertinent to ask to find the right advisor for you? I think there's. Uh, most business owners really do need a, you know, and have a at least one, you know, trusted relationship. They might see their accountant on a regular basis, but so they've got to ask if that that person or somebody else is is the suitable, you know, trusted advisor for the sale or the exit planning process because, um, you know, often uh, you're talking about your tax or your, you know, structuring is, um, you know, is, is important, but it's it's very different to exit planning. So asking your trusted advisor whether they've had deep experience with the process of preparing for and selling, it's a whole, it, it is a specialised area and, and you can't just assume that an accountant or a lawyer who will all play a role will, will be the, the lead advisor. Does that make? Yeah, it does. And I, I like what you're saying there that, of course, you want to have a good accountant who's got experience in preparing the books and making sure everything's hunky dory from that perspective. Mm-hmm. And then you want someone on your legal team or a lawyer who's really good at looking at the contract and making sure that's all good. But then in the middle of that, there's someone who only does succession planning, perhaps. Or uh, should you be asking about whether or not they are, have experience in your industry, for example? Yeah, that'd be a, an excellent question to ask. And. Um because you need that, uh, you know, that that experience of how how the sales and acquisitions happen in that in that sector. Um, very, you know, great place to start. Um, and I think a lot of lot of owners, um, you know, just just need. You know, it doesn't have to be uh, entering into a long term process at the very beginning of exit planning. It's just asking a few questions, spending an hour or two with some people to find out whether they will be your you know the best advisor right right through the to the end of a sale which could be two ten years away and is it something have i got it right by thinking that they're a bit like a real estate agent in that they support you getting your business ready getting your home ready um and they help you make it as 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 advantageous as possible for someone to buy is that the kind of similar to that role that Uh, people haven't got experience in that area yeah look i think you can um you can you could draw a a parallel um i think the the um, preparing a house is is a lot more straightforward than preparing a business. Um, so, but it is that process of of you know someone coming in and saying, and I think a good framework is to say, if I had to sell today, what 
what would I likely get for my business? Is is it actually saleable? So that's a can be a bit of a jolt for owners to, to hear that. But you know, if you if you're five or ten years out from a sale, um, where well, you've got plenty of time to re, you know to repair it, <laughs> get the you know get the footings right and paint it. And but um, there's so many um, there's so much involved, even for a fairly small business um the, yeah there's a lot involved in preparing it but the sooner you start the better but yes it's like it's like you know preparing a house for sale and is it um is a, f- a really good starting point obviously is making sure that all of your accounts and everything's up to date and there's no loose ends um with your accounting and everything's up to date with the ato is that a good starting point yeah that's um i think the foundational piece of is what what what's story does your financial history tell about the business and from from there, you know, that's what's happened over the last three, four, five years is, you know, is a pretty good indicator of what could happen uh, in the next, you know, five years for the for the buyer. Um, once once you've got that financial story together, then you start to look at what drives all the the elements of the financial story. So, biggest expense in most businesses is staff or employee costs. So, if you were a buyer. How am I going to? Uh, can I work with those staff? Are they going to transition to me as the new owner? So really, a lot of work around the employees is is a is a really you know uh, important piece of work, as well as your then you go to your customers and suppliers um, to to really get a sense of if you do change ownership, will, will all those things hold together and 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 be sustained, and can it actually be a platform for growth and um, sometimes um, it depends on the, why the buyer is buying, but uh, you know the owners can might have been in there for twenty, thirty years, and the staff are a bit stale, but respond really well to the idea of a of a new a new owner. Um, sometimes it can be. I've had cases, you know, where the the staff have said, "I, I couldn't work for anybody else." You know, you're going to have to find somebody new. Um, so horses for courses but but you know all those key relationships between staff suppliers customers if you wanted to start with three important things um you know in your exit planning that'd be a pretty good place so we we hear this term a lot in um in corporate land called change management and for a lot of businesses we don't really understand what it means obviously when you're talking about succession planning that's something that is injected really wholeheartedly into the process apart from managing the change for your staff where else do you have to consider the change management aspect when you're doing succession planning? To, uh, look, at a tough question. To um, it, there's, um, it's quite disruptive the process from from one owner to, to the new owner. You know, and it, often it's because the um, you know the buyers lacks lacks, lacks experience. So you, you don't you know change management in in that formal sense in small businesses. Um, less formal and structured it's much more about you know issue of the day um so i think you know if if you were to exit plan you know carefully and properly you you would you would start to look at how you could mitigate all those risks and what 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 changes you need to make the um you know the reality is you buy the business and and on monday you've got the keys and you you kind of got a you, you might have had a, a really thorough look at the business before you bought it, but you only get the keys on the Monday, and it all starts <laughs> anew on on the Monday. Uh, the phones ring, the staff have problems, you know, customers stop paying, whatever. So you you've got to be um, very adaptive uh, rather than probably more formally, you know, change management orientated. Um, 
Can I ask where the role of the advisor comes in? Because I'm quite interested with that sort of piece of the puzzle. On the one hand, you're supporting the person who's selling the business, but you might be also supporting the person who's buying the business. Is it is it um, a way that you not only hold the hand of the seller to get the business to the point of being sellable, but then also maybe spend a couple of weeks during the transition period to support the new owner? Where does that relationship fit in in your experience? Look, um, the... It's really over, <clears throat> excuse me, over to the new team, you know, and and one of the things you know when I'm involved, uh, I want to make sure that a buyer who's expressed interest has got the financial and capability and wherewithal to actually buy the business and and complete the deal. But typically, they you're looking to see that they've got their own management, uh, their own advisory um, capabilities and resources to draw on. So, um, and I know. If they don't, it's a real it's a real risk that they're going to really humbug the outgoing seller for for you know regardless of what's in the contract they're mm. going to be ringing up saying well how does that work and where does this go and so I look for you know the, them to bring their own um, experience personally as a business uh, operator but also to have their own advisory team. My role, or oh, sorry, you know the role of a, an advisor in the sale is to is really exit at that point mm. themselves and. And um, and you want to make sure you've – I think the best thing an advisor can do in that situation is make sure they've matched a, a good buyer with a with a seller so that there's less likelihood of all those things going pear-shaped. Let, let's talk about that pear-shaped aspect. Uh, can you give me some, some examples of where things have just gone absolutely belly up? Um, not so much – in, in terms of the succession, but unforeseen circumstances that during the, the you know the succession planning just couldn't have been foreseen. Look, there's, there's <laughs> I think the, um, the one of the sort of ones that comes to mind is, um, uh, and, and it's happened much more than once, is when key employees stayed with the business, the owner perhaps told them quite late in the process that the business was going to be sold. Oh, bad communication. And so the, 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 the sale went ahead. And so two things can happen there. One is that they might all of a sudden become a real hurdle to the sale happening because they tell the owner that unless they share in it in some way, the sale won't happen because they'll threaten to walk or... Um, and happens regularly. Uh, oh, the wow, o- they start throwing their weight around. Yeah. Wow. Or, or if, if they're really, you know, if they're really steeped and, and understand the business really well, that sometimes they become a potential buyer of the business at the very last minute. Oh, so it becomes like a bidding war, like an auction. Well, it, you see that there's an, op- you know, it's a good, a good opportunity. They know the business well. They're, they're a great, you know, generic kind of buyer because yeah. they know the business so well. Yeah. They know all the ins and outs. Um, but you know, for you know, owners that are, sorry, buyers that have become owners and and the staff are a bit uh, disenfranchised um, with the way the process went. Um, you know, I want to I want to pay rise. Uh, that's that's a you know that's that's it's happened on on more than one occasion because um, it, it and it's really it's really hard to know for the outgoing owner when and how you tell your staff, but. As I keep saying, I, I think you know, a good advisor would say, don't be inconsistent with the way you've run the business for the last 10, 20, 30 years. If you're open communicator, don't all of a sudden become reclusive and not tell anybody. Uh, it's hard to pick the right time, but you, you want to be consistent so you, you know, you, the staff are feeling like 
they're not part. Well, they are part of it, but they don't, but they don't need to control it. Uh, but you, your risk is that they they get out of joint, and um, so that's a, you know a, that's one where, and it's a hell of a shock to a you know to a new owner to have key staff uh, come in and demand. <laughs> Um, but not that unusual by the sounds of it. No, it's not unusual. Um, and um, But, you know, it's, this is why it's a, you know, it's a delicate process and, um, you know, the way, you know, a, a good advisor on uh, – good advisors on both sides will help kind of see some of these potential um, risks and, and um, do what they can to mitigate them. In terms of – I mean, obviously, the people factor, that's – logically going to be um, a really uh, difficult hurdle in some cases, particularly if I guess staff haven't been managed particularly well from the beginning and they don't have confidence in what they're doing in any case. Why would they bother staying when there's been such an upheaval? Um, But what about in the situation where there's stuff being handed over? Is that an easier uh, sell because um, it's really just sort of packaging everything up in a bow, nothing's really going to change and then handing it over. Is that really just about making sure that your books are and your inventory and everything else is, is up to date and your assets? Yeah, look, I, I, I think, yeah, stuff, you know, stock, plant and equipment, tang- more tangible things is what, yeah. yeah. Look, I, um, I think I'm not sure that it's any easier because, um, I mean, if you take retail food businesses... For example, it's a really it's a marketplace that turns over quite regularly, and and they dominate. The, I mean, there's still only for two two point one million small businesses in Australia. I know a lot of those are zero employee businesses, but there's still only twenty thousand businesses listed on the biggest for sale site in in the country, more or less twenty thousand. So, and about two thirds of those are retail food. So, the, you know the the buyer and the seller of a, of one of those businesses could do everything right, um, but next door, the day after you take over, another cafe can start. Uh, so, you know, and you can't. There's nothing. Oh, there's probably some you know planning things you could check out, but it, it's so fast paced in some of those sectors that you, you can be, you can do all you can to mitigate the risk of buying and selling that particular business. But the marketplace is so so uh, quick mm, yeah um, so you can get caught out but um more inte- intellectual property um that's that's where you, I, I think you know there's um there's a lot of uh security around you know good intellectual property and that's why a lot of businesses do you know change hands because there's uh, embedded value in the business because of um you know trademarks or or particular products that are unique um a business model that's unique. So, you know, they're, they're the things that I get really, you know, see, get really excited about because they're a bit more defensible and a bit more predictable. Mm, yeah, because the product's not necessarily going to change and, and the things that are going on around the cafe are not... Uh like, uh, sorry, not the cafe. The things that are going on around the business are not necessarily going to impact on that IP and that product. No, I think you know you, you can look at that, and you, you know you really can go to town on your homework and and, and see a. You know, sometimes it's a global opportunity yeah, to take real that. Potential. Yeah, yeah, and and, then, and you can back that in. Mm. Um, and um, you know there'll always be competition coming, but it, not at the same rate, perhaps as um, you know some of the you know mainstream businesses where you know the landlord plays such a mm. massive role in the success or failure of a lot of those businesses and if you own your own 
freehold, fantastic. Yeah, but but yeah, these days with funding, it's it's not that easy to put no. It's, in that it, look, it's it's re- it's really really tough for funding. Um, and I can either talk from uh, experience over the last couple of years of deals that are, have have gone twelve months longer than they should have because of funding. Um, there's a few bright lights. Um, I was going to ask you about that, actually. Do you think that the Royal Commission into Banking is going to alleviate some of the, the funding struggles that small businesses have? Is it going to open up the market to small business lenders and, and sort of, you know, get rid of some of the pressure that, we, that we're all experiencing? Well, and then how's that going to affect succession planning in, in the whole as a whole? Look, I think uh, we were both at co- different conferences last week on small business and, one, and the two themes um, for the conference I was at uh, one of them particularly was mental health for small business operators. The other one that kept coming up all the time was finance, access to. And I think there was a, a resignation that, you know, with the inquiry aside that um, banks have enjoyed such success out of lending for housing um, that um, lending for business um, has, you know, has fallen away because it's it's hard. <laughs> well, it's volatile and, you know, and, and you, people, we've got essentially when you're buying a home, you're buying an asset, whereas, you know, the volatility of the asset you're trying to purchase mm-hmm. may or may not succeed. So mm-hmm. they've run away from that. But it, doesn't that mean that we've got a sort of more open market for other lenders to come in and take advantage of that? Well, it, yeah, there, there's a there's a fintechs, you know, coming thick and fast and in debtor financing, invoice financing or, you know, creative. Um, and they're... There's sort of situational finance. I'm not sure if that's a term, but you know, if you need a quick fifty thousand dollars to do something, it's never been easier. I mean, I get ten uh, uh, emails a week from these fintechs. I, I subscribe to all their newsletters, but a true, you know, relationship banking um, bank where uh, it's not about what's happening today. It's I want to grow my business for five, you know, over five years. I'm going to need to buy some patent equipment. I'm going to need, you know, I'd like to refinance just for growth and I need, you know, day-to-day transactional banking. I think that's, um, that's still a, a real challenge. But, you know, there's, there's a couple, there's a pretty high-profile bank that started out in Melbourne and they, um, they are doing, you know, proper relationship lending. And, and that's, um, that, that, I think that's, um, the fintechs are doing a great job plugging the gap and it's, it's right there in your face if you need it. But, uh, the relationship banking is, you know, is where I think will underpin the growth of, you know, if we can get back to relationship banking, the the outlook for SMEs is a whole lot better because you can go the journey. So would you like to see the, the big four and, and the big boys get back into that small business manager or small business relationship uh, position? Because we've seen a lot of, uh, anybody can think of their local bank branch and realise that we no longer have a small business person. I can tell you that, you know, the Commonwealth Bank in Hornsby had a wonderful small business liaison person who had was really experienced um, and we lost that person. Is that happening everywhere? Do you think they'll reinstate it, realising that there's a real gap in the market now? I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure, mate. Um, you know, I think there's going to be more and more pressure applied um, and, you know, they talk about social licence and um, of banks and um, and the inqu- the inquiry certainly made it more you know evident that banks have done really well out of banks mm-hmm. out of uh, housing lending and often that that, that incorporated a lot of uh, business lending you know the, the yeah the, because we use that equity in our home to, to fund our mm-hmm. our bigger business growth in, yeah, in a lot of times if you um, if you look at um, housing and then and lending to big corporates I think that's still you know they're they're, they're profitable and healthy so. Um, I, I don't know. I'd like to. The infrastructures 
in the in the banks the you know the branch people were always in my experience fantastic they really knew you know where you know where things uh where to go to get problems resolved but um the new you know it's formula lending i'm I'm getting out of my depth here in terms of yeah but you can see how it really impacts on the idea of you know, 20,000 businesses are currently listed for sale. How does the, the small business funding market actually yeah. affect that? It's, it's an interesting topic. Certainly one we could go into in a lot more depth. We're going to take a quick break here. And, and just to finish up at the end of the program, I want to have a quick chat to you about um, just the quick, uh, the buyer's perspective. Um, so how to look at it if you're considering buying a business. You're listening to Triple H 100.1 FM. We'll be back after this. And you are live in the studio of Triple H 100.1 FM and across the community radio network. My name is Alexi Boyd and we're talking all things small biz matters this week. If you've missed any of today's show, you can, of course, catch up via our podcast, which is available on iTunes and Spotify and Podbean and wherever you get your podcasts and also on smallbizmatters.com.au. There's over 150 podcasts of a ridiculous variety of topics you name it, we've talked about it. If we haven't talked about it, let us know and we'll get an expert in just like Michael to talk about it. So today we're talking all about succession planning and just before the break, we were talking a little bit about, um, you know, the impact of the funding changes that are going on in Australia at the moment and how that's affecting small business, not necessarily in the short term because we've got lots of fintech companies coming in to plug that gap, but in the long term and thinking about um, the, the sort of the five-year, the 10-year prognosis for your business. Michael, tell me about um, the impact of that that. How, how the buyer looks at buying a business. So if you're, if you're walking in, you're going, right, I don't want to start from scratch. I want to buy an established business. You mentioned at the beginning of the program that being an employee is often a really good um, entryway into purchasing a business. How do you have that conversation with your boss if they're not thinking about selling? Could you maybe sort of just plant the seeds and say, look, this is a really great business you've got going on. Mm. I want to buy it from you in about five years or whatever it is. Do you ever see people having um, difficulty with those conversations? Yeah, look, it's it's really uh, really challenging. Um, they build up these great working relationships, and then um, one party will see that the other parties, uh, you know, maybe they, they see the owner's going to need to retire at some point, or um, I, you know, I'm a younger uh, go-getter employee, and I want to um, I want to build some wealth, and I want to run my own business. So it's a really delicate conversation. Um, Again, trusted advisors um, are really important to guide the parties through that because um, you've got to step out of being employer employee to sell a buyer, and it's a whole it's a whole different. Um, and, and in the meantime, continue to function properly as employer and employee, or yeah. you know, maintaining the business. So it's that, an important point that those roles they change so dramatically, mm-hmm. and if you have an advisor in that place to plug that gap, mm-hmm. then they almost take on. Uh, it stops being an emotional thing and starts becoming more of a um, a transactional. Ra- it's more rational. I think that's where it takes the heat out of it because you know mm-hmm. if they're mature about it, both parties need to realise it could corrupt that that kind of relationship that makes the business the success that it is. Um, but we, yeah, we were talking about um, timing and um, for for employees. Uh, is seeing these opportunities that they work in a really successful business and the you know the the uh, the stats on the the age of ownership of businesses it, it's you know it's 50s well and truly 50 years you know plus so um if you're a 20s late 20s 30s 40s 
aged employee eyeing off the opportunity to to you know buy your own business or, ha- or run your own business it, you know there's going to be a lot of those so i think it's one of the big growth areas is in employees buying out employers so the timing on that's really i think for the next 10 years is going to be excellent um and but get somebody in to help you you know through you know the the delicate process almost that conversation needs to go look you know, I've been impressed. I've been really looking for. I've been enjoying working for you. I think it's a wonderful business. Have you considered? Um, why don't we get someone in to have that conversation between the two of us uh, and see if it's viable? It doesn't have to be like I want to buy your business. You can start with, well, you know, let's look at the viability. Of this, let's look at timelines. Is this something you're interested in doing? But let's get that third party party person in because I think trying to have that one on one conversation it immediately blurs the relationship between employee and employer, and also. You know your your personal relationship that you've built up with this person. Oh, look, it, you know, if if you've been around, you know, in a business working with together, it's it, you know, that you wouldn't. It doesn't have to be friendship based, but it's certainly personal, and you know each other pretty well, and you know respect each other. So, and there's no doubt if you don't get that that piece right, that that it the whole thing can you know can fall apart to the disadvantage of of both parties. Because um, you got to, you, you really got to peg it back a bit. You can't be, you got to buy. If you're the employee, you got to buy on terms that make sense for you. And if and if you're the um, employer, you've got to make sure that the deal is doable. Um, but you can easily fray the relationship, and 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 value can disappear because that you know, that employee might decide to go and do their own thing. And there's plenty of people looking at starting up. Um, you know, or, or just you know transferring to another uh, competitive organisation. So yeah, they're all delicate personal relationships uh, that need you know good um, uh, structure and advice from uh, outside. And all the more reason that that's at the point when you really need to get that advice on hand. Do you find that um, you sometimes approached by employees just on a one-on-one level, saying I'm thinking about asking the business owner, and that's the beginning of the conversation? Yeah, it is, and um, it, it's genuinely happening a lot more. And I think we were chatting a little bit earlier about you know the, the security around having a job <laughs> is um, I, I don't you know I don't think it's the same as it was. So you know people um, employees have aspirations. So you know there's a lot of employees are happy being employees, but there's a lot. I think there's just this um, a valley of employees that are thinking about and seeing opportunities because the owner will retire. They know the business. Um, they can they can mitigate a lot of that risk, and you know, the, the, in that respect, timing's never been um, you know never been better. I was at an event um, recently where <clears throat> someone who was a millennial, <laughs> and they were quite happily mm. pegging themselves as that. They said, you know, in my parents' day, the word entrepreneur used to be almost um, looked down upon as someone who was a high risk taker and someone who you know was just flying by the seat of their pants and never really had a job. They were just an entrepreneur, so they were really yeah. they were basically unemployed. So you, you fast forward thirty years, and you've got people who are literally doing university courses with entrepreneurship as part of their course, uh, and they're moving into the workforce. Is that one of the aspects that things are changing in, and why we can see a lot more flux with succession planning? Oh, there's no there's no question. I think um, the the focus on and the excitement around starting up. I mean, yeah, they're growing entrepreneurs out of. Out of school and and business schools, yeah, not even not even university anymore. No. It's now moving into schools that they're talking about entrepreneurship. Yeah, kids kids are doing incredible things. Um, you know, 
developing new you know, online businesses or apps or what you know or selling lemonade you know it, you see still see good stories about you know, kids with that sort of business flair i mean i i, I kind of struggle a little bit with uh, with the whole entrepreneurial term but you know the the the, the drive to control your own destiny by running a business is um there's never been better opportunities fantastic look thank you so much for joining us on the program today michael you've shared with us a huge amount of knowledge all about succession planning preparing your business being involved in a business which might be being sold and also what to do if you're thinking about buying one thank you for sharing your expertise now tell us a little bit about how people can find out more about you well, thanks for having me on, firstly, Alexi. I really appreciated the opportunity. Um, get me at kerrcapital.com.au is my main website, um, and Michael Kerr on LinkedIn. I'd be happy to talk to anybody small business. Fantastic. We'll definitely take our guests up on that offer. Thank you once again for joining us. Now, if you've missed any of today's program, you can catch up via smallbizmatters.com.au, where you can, of course, subscribe to our newsletter, find out all these fantastic events, and find out who's coming up on the program as well. If you're interested in becoming a media a partner with Small Biz Matters, get in touch. We are very happy to share our content with you and get it out to your small business network. You've been listening to Small Biz Matters with Alexi Boyd. We'll be back next week with another great guest. Thanks for joining me.